Hello and welcome to Bird of the Week. It's a podcast about birds, released on a non-weekly basis. Episode 54, The Unicorn Bird. Everyone loves unicorns, right? Mystical, magical, enchanting creatures, pantering through glades, pooping rainbows, and generally bringing joy to all who encounter them. Sadly, unicorns aren't real. They are restricted to the realm of imagination, but there are some strangely horned creatures that do populate our world. The narwhal is the most famous, those spiral-horned whales from the far northern seas. Technically, it's a tooth that protrudes through their head, but don't worry about that. And you know, rhinos have sort of got that unicorn vibe. I guess, guess the horns on their nose. But did you know there is a bird who also belongs to this exclusive club of horned magical creatures? Rhin- rhinos are magical, right? Well, there is a bird, but are they mystical, magical, majestic, or are they violent, scruffy, and loud? I guess that's all a question of perspective, but let's dive in and meet the only truly horned bird in the avian kingdom, the Horned Screamer. Bird of the Week. So, horns and birds don't really go together, do they? We got beaks and talons galore and wing spurs. We got a couple of wing spurs for when a bird wants to get stabby. But a horn, not so much. Sure, there are some birds that claim to have horns, like the horned lark and the horned parakeet, but they don't really have horns. They just have some fancy crest feathers that kind of look like horns, you know, if you squint. And then there are birds like the cassowary with that big old horn-like thing on their head, technically a cask. And that's pretty cool, but really it's more like a a helmet. It's It's not pointy, you know? But the horned screamer, ah, the horned screamer has a legit horn. Yeah, depending on your definition of legit. But we are getting ahead of ourselves. What even is a horned screamer? And why do they have such an alarming name? Kind of sounds like a surface-to-air missile or something. Let's take it one step at a time. All right. So, to begin, where do we have to go to find us a screamer? Well, this is a bird that you're probably unfamiliar with, as they are native to the waterways of South America. They're not really an aquatic bird, but they are certainly water adjacent. But how would you know that you're looking at a screamer when you see one? What do they look like? Well, they're bulky, about the size of a goose, primarily black plumes with a light grey underside. They're not an especially handsome bird. They have a small head with a face that kind of looks like a chicken. Short pointy beak, good for pecking stuff. Blood red eyes. They have big old feet with long spidery toes, similar to other wading birds, which helps them plot about their watery homes. Important to note though, their toes are not webbed. Despite this, they are still good swimmers, and we'll find out more about why they take to water so well later. The horned screamer also has not one, but two spurs on each wing. They're big, sharp, and pointy, up to six centimeters long, which is A pretty big stabber. But their most prominent feature is, of course, the horn. But this isn't a nice, neat horn. It isn't even straight. Their horn is a straggly thing. They're never symmetrical. They've always got a bit of a kink or bend in them. 
It's like one unruly hair has gone and caused the ultimate bad hair day. But what the horn lacks in style, it makes up for in length. These things can be up to 15 centimeters long. So they're a big plump kind of cross between a chicken and a goose with feet like a wader. Wing spurs and an unkempt thin horn sticking out of the middle of their head. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. This is not an attractive collection of features. They're, they're pretty ungainly in my opinion. But we're not here to hand out $10 in a beauty contest, which is a good thing because they wouldn't win. No, we're here to talk about cool birds. And the horn screamer is a cool bird. So first up, where do these guys feature on the avian family tree? Well, they proved to be difficult to place for a long time. Because looking at them, you'd think they were a freaky member of the game bird family. Those are your chickens and pheasants. It's all in the face. They have a face that only a chicken could love. But turns out, no. Despite their chicken appearance and proportions, they're a member of the waterfowl family. Ducks and swans and geese. It's suspected they were an early breakaway from the family and have been doing their own evolutionary thing for millions of years, hence their more bespoke features. Although, people will remember from our taxonomy episode that the duck family and the chicken family are closely related. So maybe the screamer is a bird we can look to that reveals those underlying connections. Either that or it's just evolution being all crazy. I mean, who can say? There are three species of screamer within this little family. There is our bird of interest, the horned screamer. Then there are the two other non-horned varieties, the southern and northern screamer, which go in for more of a traditional feathered headdress. Going beyond their immediate relatives, it seems their next closest cousin is the old magpie goose from Australia. So these sit a bit askew from the bulk of the waterfowl birds. On one hand, they represent a more ancient lineage, while at the same time being one of the more evolved birds getting around. But what do I mean by that more evolved? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing air quotes here, more evolved. Well, they have features that other birds just don't. So maybe we should talk a little about how they work under the hood. Let's begin with the environment they live in, because as we know, where a bird lives will have an impact on what kind of features it evolves. Being an aberrant type of waterfowl, we already know that they live in and around damp places. They favour well-vegetated marshes. Screamers are herbivorous, feeding primarily on water plants. In that sense, they're not totally dissimilar from a goose wandering around a lake, nibbling grass. It's a similar lifestyle, except they live in the tropics. So now let's deal with their voice, because after all, they are called screamers. And do they scream? Let's find out. Roll the audio! As you can hear, their name is well-earned. And look, I don't think we would expect a member of the duck family to have a particularly pleasant voice. They have a variety of different calls. Let's listen to another. I don't know if they got a wobble board or something going on in their throat, but it is pretty weird. Maybe appropriately, the screamer has a reputation for aggression. 
These loud, abrasive calls, screams, are sometimes used as a first line of defense if an adversary gets all up in their grill. In the wild, this makes them something of a sentinel species. Other birds rely on them to warn of approaching danger and have learned that when they hear a screamer a screaming, it's time to get going. Some communities in South America have taken advantage of this and used the screamer like a guard dog to help protect chicken flocks. Standing nearly a metre tall and with a booming voice, they're certainly intimidating. But that ain't the half of it, because with this bird, their bite is worse than their bark. And this is when we get to those nasty spurs that they sport on their wings. So I guess their stab is worse than their bark? Wing spurs are a funny addition that isn't all that common for birds. Have I talked about wing spurs before on this, this show? Maybe, maybe with chickens, maybe? Well, let's do it again. So spurs are different to claws or nails. They're actually more similar to horns in the sense that they're bone that protrudes from the animal and are part of their skeleton. Spurs can appear on any part of the body, but in birds they tend to form either on the leg, just above the foot, as is the case for roosters, cocks. Only about 170 or so species of birds come equipped with little daggers. And for most of them, they grow on the leg. Many members of the game bird family have leg spurs. More rarely, they form on the leading edge of the wing. And there are only a few birds with wing spurs, the spur-winged goose for example, and the masked lapwing is another bird well known to many Australians. And then aside from the jacana and the sheath bills, screamers are pretty much the end of the list. You know, write in and let me know if you're aware of any other birds that have wing spurs. As far as I can tell, horned screamers are also the only birds that have two spurs on each wing. Double trouble. As mentioned, at maximum length, the horned screamer's spur is about six centimetres long, which is about 2.5 inches, give or take. Both males and females have spurs. Now, you would think that these spurs would be a great defence mechanism for the birds, and indeed they are sometimes used if anyone threatens them, but that doesn't happen all that often. Far more often, the screamers use their spurs against each other. During mating season, males will go wing to wing, pummeling each other for the right to mate. This is when the spurs really come in handy, and there have even been reports of birds found with a broken spur lodged in their body, a grisly prize taken from coming off second best. So that's the spur. But I know, really, you want to hear about their horn. Although, in a sense, they really are a bit in reverse, because they have a wing claw that is more like a horn, and they have a head horn that is more like a claw, because this horn is just conified keratin, although the technical definition of conified is to become a horn-like substance. Um, don't worry about it. The point is it's made of keratin, so it's a strange sort of solidified feather. They're brittle, they're only loosely attached to their head and are prone to breaking, so as to a practical purpose, they have none, at least none that anyone has been able to work out. As with so much when it comes to birds, their headwear is an aesthetic ornamentation. Potentially, they use them as a way to signal or communicate with each other. Maybe they detect radio waves. 
the Lariel. But easily, this is the most dramatic and attention-grabbing feature of the horned screamer, you know, ignoring their scream. <laughs> but if I'm going to be honest, the more interesting thing about these birds is how they carry air about. Now, what nonsense am I even talking? Carry air about? Uh, well, we'll come to that. Because what is interesting about these birds is their bones and air sacs. Let's start with their bones. Now, if there is one fun fact that I think everyone knows about birds, it's that they have hollow bones. True. You know, depending on your definition of hollow. After all, they're not really hollow. They're more like a honeycomb lattice. But yeah, they've got holes and gaps all the way through their bones. We all know that. But here is the real question. Why do birds have hollow, technically honeycomb lattice bones? It's to make them lighter so they can fly, right? Ba-boom. Turns out, no. Hollow bones have nothing to do with making a bird lighter. Fun fact, if you took a bird and a mouse that weighed the same and then stripped them down to their skeleton, you would find that the bird's skeleton actually weighs more than the mouse's. Because while it is true, the bird has hollow, technically honeycomb lattice skeleton, bird bones are denser than mammals. So even though the bones are a bit gappy, they make up for it with a denser material, ensuring that the bones are strong. So if the bones aren't hollow to lower the bird's weight, then why are they hollow? Well, it is to help them fly, but not for the reason you might think. The gaps in a bird's bones aren't just an empty void. They're actually pneumatized. Wee, that is a fancy word. What does it even mean? Pneumatized to have an air-filled cavity. Basically, there is air all through those not-so-empty bones. And the air in their bones functions as part of their respiratory system. I'm sorry. What did you just say? Yeah, I know. Their bones are like lungs. Kinda. Stay with me here. You see, flying is hard work. A bird's muscles have to pump pretty hard to get them up and in the air, and that takes energy. Combustion. And what do we need to burn to make combustion happen and release energy? That's right. Oxygen. It's the reason why you pant when you're working out. Gotta get that oxygen to the muscles. Well, for birds, their air-filled bones help them out. They can hold more air in their body, and it can go deeper and get to muscles faster flowing through their blood when it comes from their bones as well as their lungs. So it turns out that bird bones being hollow do help them fly, but not because they're light, but because they're like secondary lungs, improving oxygen uptake. Not gonna lie, that surprised me. Naturally, not all birds have this feature to the same extent. For example, large soaring birds like eagles and vultures have more hollow bones than birds that dive underwater. Penguins, loons and puffins actually don't have hollow bones at all, and not having a bunch of air trapped in your bones makes it easier to dive underwater. You know, makes sense. But then, how do our screamers stack up against the flock? Well, it turns out they have the most pneumatized bones of any bird. That's right, they have the highest concentration of air in their bones, and yet they rarely fly. I mean, they can, and they're surprisingly strong flyers when they want to be, but these are chunky birds. Sure, they'll 
flap up to a branch and maybe glide down if they have to, but otherwise they are hanging about on the ground, mucking about in the water, getting their feet wet. So why do they need these special bones that evolved for flight? Well, evolution can be a funny old thing. Hollow bones first evolved in dinosaurs, the avian ancestors. For them, the advantage was about growing bigger while maintaining strength. It's also possible that pneumatized bones can help aerate the blood, which in turn helps to cool the animal down. Our big flightless birds that still have these hollow bones seem to take the same air conditioning advantage too. It was only later that birds co-opted this trait, because by coincidence, it turned out to be useful for flight. So it could be a combination of happenstance and chance that led to our mostly land-bound screamers having bones that are optimised for flight. Who can say? At any rate, that brings us to the last freaky feature that the screamer possesses. Not only are their bones air-filled, but so is their skin. All over the screamer's body, they are riddled with little air sacs just under the skin. People report that when the birds move about, they make crackling noises, similar to bubble wrap. It's most noticeable when they take off in the moments when they do fly. Think about when you crack your knuckles. This is kind of what's going on just with the screamer's whole body. They're full of hot air. All these little air sacs in the skin give their flesh a bit of a spongy quality that makes them unappealing as food. I mean, not having people butchering you because of how delicious you are is a really big advantage. Chickens, take note. No one wants to eat a sponge. Unless it's a cake. But the air sac's real purpose is to help them in their semi-aquatic life. Just as the penguin has solid bones to help them get underwater, the screamer with their air sac pocked flesh and extra hollow bones is primed to bob about on the surface. When the screamer takes to the water, they ride high, buoyed by their air-filled bodies and float about like a cork. And for a bird that lives in swampy marshlands, yeah, that does seem like a Handy trait. Always good to keep your head above water. Unless you're a penguin and that's what you're about. So that's the screamer. And now, when you hear the word unicorn, I don't want you to think of a beautiful horse. I want you to think of a goose. With the face of a chicken, the voice of a trumpet, the skin of a sponge, four wing blades, and a horn that is really more of a calcified feather that is super brittle and serves no real purpose. Because that, my friend is how birds do unicorns. Ungainly aggressive goose, you gotta love it. Well, that was a weird trip down the avian family tree, but I hope you enjoyed the episode at any rate. And if you want some more bird action, I've got some good news. Our bonus podcast called What's Up With This Bird's Name has just come out, and this time it is all about the... Um, gonna be honest, haven't actually selected the bird yet, but uh, it's gonna be a bird with a, with a freaky-deaky name. Um... I'll try to make it silly. And if you want to hear whatever that mystery silly episode is going to be, all you have to do is swing on over to Patreon, forward slash Bird of the Week, all one word, link in the description to find out more. And if you're feeling especially generous and would like to make a bigger contribution, then you too can get a special thank you from me and the show. Just like my good friends, Debbie Ho, Jill Chalker, R. Fuller, Ashley Scarper, and Richard Clark, the Minty Fresh. And if you would like to receive a bird in your inbox each week, you can drop me a line at weekly.bird at outlook.com and I will add you to the Bird of the Week mailing list where you will receive a new bird lovingly delivered to you for free each and every week. I mean, hey, 
who doesn't want more birds in their inbox? At any rate, thank you for listening, and I hope you will tune in again soon. Until then, this has been Bird of the Week. Now that's what I call unicorn-level majesty.